did you know Mike Patton? Not personally. I, I'm sorry you didn't say I know of him. Damn it. I don't, I don't, know, I don't know of him. <laughs> Mike Patton, I can't remember what band, what band was it? Uh, Faith No More. But he, um, he's got a, a very unique voice and he does a lot of voiceover work normally for zombies or monsters because he can sort of get that sort of kind of noise. So there's good money in it if you know how to not wreck your throat. I don't want that recorded actually thinking about it. There's good money in it if you can learn not to wreck your throat. Are you going to bark all day? Is a tasty I am just a figment of your imagination. Here's Johnny! You are a sad, strange little man. These guys do that. Don't fail me again. Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Popcorn Bucket Podcast. Oh, one thing. Sorry, oh, one sorry, thing. sorry. One thing. Do it a little bit slower. Sorry. Because uh, I did notice that last time i think you said film nonsense but it's mm. sort of clip it just sounded like you said film nonce which i'm <laughs> sure was not something you wanted right. to say so yeah. <laughs> and film nonce i don't think you can go too slow and don't take the piss with it but i can always speed it up in the edit if it's that slow but it won't be so just okay. it's the whole thing about being calm and collected take your time everyone's waiting for you not the other way around. So. No one's waiting for me. <laughs> Hello. And welcome. Okay, I told you not to take the piss. I was adding gravitas. Yeah, it was brilliant. I felt it. <laughs> Hello and welcome. You're listening to the podcast. What the fuck is this voice? <laughs> I've never heard that voice. Hello and welcome. <laughs> That's that's the voice they have for the intro to like some sort of medical facility in a movie, like a sci-fi kind of thing, like in Spider-Man or some shit, like Oscorp. Here at Oscorp, we're building the future. Scanning Blofeld's eyeball. Yeah, yeah. Hello and welcome. <laughs> okay, dude, you can have to. <clears throat> Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Popcorn Bucket Podcast with Ben and Rob. This is a regular look at the wonderful world of films, film franchises, and film nonsense. This week is a franchise fatigue episode in which we take a franchise and look at the high points, the low points, and everything in between to sort the perfect puffs of popcorn from the sad, stale bits at the bottom of the bucket. This week, the random popcorn maker film topics has popped out 28 days slash weeks later, which we will discuss with full spoilers from the outset. Mm. For a Halloween spooktacular. Ooh, scary. Yeah. The thing is, I'm not the biggest fan of horror. Yes. What I mean is I ha I like it enough, and there are some horror movies that I love, but uh, there are some people who that that's their thing. Yeah. You know, they're they're into uh they're into all all the kind of slasher movies and you know, Freddy, Jason, Freddy versus Jason. You know, uh, just that sort of thing. So I've seen a lot, and I love quite a lot of them, but I wouldn't call myself a horror fan. It's probably one of the least explored big genres of movies that that I have. I agree. I don't tend to watch much horror. I tend to find quite a lot, quite a lot of films quite stressful. Anyways, we've 
maybe mentioned before. I think this is probably the first, I guess, horror film I kind of enjoyed. Or really enjoyed. Um, but so, but I'm not like a massive connoisseur of the genre at all. But you've seen, I've seen Get Out and everything. I've seen Get, I've seen Get Out. Get Out's fantastic. Mm. I've seen a couple of the Saw films. I think I've seen a few of the Screams. Scary mm. movie. Yes, well. Uh, Blair Witch, which isn't scary. No. I mean, and, and there's there's crossover. I mean, you've seen the Alien movies, haven't you? Yeah, true. And and there, there are lots. Predator? Yes. You know, so there, there's quite a bit of crossover. You know, even... Have you seen Evil Dead? Oh, I've seen... Yeah, the third one. I'm in Darkness. Yeah. Okay, well, that's... That is more slapstick. <laughs> I mean, we could just list go through a list of, like, horror films. Have I seen... I've seen The Woman in Black, which is yeah. jumpy more than anything. Mm. Well, it's just because I think some people, when it comes to horror and when Star it comes Wars to... Star Wars 9 was horrific. Nice. When it comes to horror, I, I don't know. Some people expect that sort of fan insight because there are people who are so deep into it. They're just, you know, their mission is to find the next big horror, mm. you know, and, and it has... Some of those things just have an insane amount of hype around them. Like, this is the new horror. So, you know, like, The Witch was the new hotness a while ago yeah bloody midsummer yes. was, yeah, was yeah, one yeah. you know they, they, they every so often it just and get out was one it it just kind of it pops out like a new kind of new hotness and and i think if you're looking for sort of expert horror analysis you ain't gonna get it here but i mean we've all got time to kill so we may as well look at these movies that's not the attitude to take. No, I like these movies. Really isn't. I, 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 I like the kind of concept. I've always liked zombies as a thing. I always like it as a as a, a form of social commentary. I, I like zombies as a thing. I think I think it's it's good because it, it confronts you with the worst parts of people in general. And normally they're used as a force of nature, which I always like in movies. Having something that embodies something inevitable or something highly destructive. And with zombies, you get that sort of, even even if they're the slow shambling ones or the running ones, yeah, you get waves of them. So it's cool. So what did you pick this? I liked when it I mean, later. why did the popcorn maker pick this? Because um, it was around October, so luckily. Um, <laughs> now, I, I, I liked when it is later. Um, I think it's probably, it probably the first horror film if it, if it is I, I don't actually i don't as you say not bit not being an expert i don't even know if it technically is classed as a horror film i believe so um but it, it was the first film of that ilk that i really enjoyed and it's fantastic i'd have it in like a top list of films mm. um i think it's really good uh, yeah there's some really iconic shots throughout it um it's got a phenomenal cast who i think were then were quite unknown yeah it's it's strange to see the cast being so baby-faced Yes. Yeah. Uh, so should we just should we just get into it before okay. we uh, before we kind of spoil any more of our thoughts? So, twenty eight days later, released in two thousand and two, directed by Danny Boyle, written by Alex Garland, music by John Murphy, starring Killian Murphy, Naomi Harris, Christopher Eccleston, Megan Burns, and Brendan Gleeson. The plot from the back of the DVD. Array for physical media. Thank you. When a group of chimpanzees freed from a research facility goes on a ravenous rampage with a virulent disease, they 
carry quickly becomes a horrifying human pandemic. And when a bicycle courier, Killian Murphy, awakes from a coma in a deserted London hospital, he finds himself in a post-apocalyptic world where the survival of the fittest means staying a few steps ahead of the infested. It does say infested, who create more of their own by ravenously attacking the fit. I mean, yeah, pretty much. So, yeah, weird. Why does it say infested? I don't know. They do say infected in the movie, right? I know. But oh. also attacking the fit is a bit so it's a strange description. Yeah, well, it's it's not as if they have a scene where there's like Killian Murphy being all like thin and wiry, and then a fat dude, and they they bypass the fat dude and go after Killian Murphy. I know it's the fittest gene pool, but you know. Well, let's uh, pause the podcast and go and write that. Add it to the list of Ben and Rob Productions. <laughs> yeah. Have you noticed that our film ideas are very, very derivative? <laughs> Generally to what the film we've been discussing. Yeah, exactly. It, I think that's the problem. I think Ben and Rob Productions is going to be shut down in, within a couple of months. So, you know, sorry about that. Uh, you can keep the T-shirt, though. 28 Days Later is kind of credited with sort of... Revitalizing the zombie genre. Definitely. Although Danny Boyle says it's not particular, they're not actual zombies. Yeah, but they a, are. Well, there's a line in Hot Fuzz, isn't there, about it? Not Hot Fuzz, sorry, Shaun of the Dead. I was going to say, the Hot Fuzz is a reach. What, don't use the Z word. No, at the very end of Shaun of the Dead, when it's kind of like a, a repeat at the beginning where they're just flicking through the TV, there's a bit oh, yeah. where somebody says, reports that the virus was carried by by rage infected monkeys turned out to be bull and then the uh, channel is switched before it swears possibly ah so what is the difference then are zombies the slow shambling ones i think so because these are referred to as the affected because they they run yeah i i like it when there's a mix actually i like the slow shambles as i said there's there's an inevitability to it it's like they will eventually catch up with you you know, they'll eventually come and get you kind of thing. Whereas running infected is, you know, is is a very real, terrifying, immediate danger. So, I mean, what what are your thoughts on this? What Where, where does your zombie preference lie? Probably, I think, like, the slow shuffling is, like, that sort of inevitability that, you know, you can't, uh, well, it'll catch up with you eventually. Mm. Um, whereas I think with this, it's more kind of, direct and and instant but mm. it's, it's more meant to be about rage there's a quote from danny boyle where he said he wants to create a genre, um he wanted to create a genre film um but one that stretched the boundaries and plumbed the deep, deeper depths of social consciousness and he said that social social rage is very much a symptom of modern times we see the manifestation of it every day in road rage air rage hospital rage and even supermarket rage Mm. And he was inspired by real life scenarios such as anthrax and bioterrorism scares in London and the frightening animal plagues. Because um, <clears throat> around this time, you had the foot and mouth disease. Yeah, well, that's the thing. It certainly nailed the feeling of a pandemic, didn't it? Yeah. Uh, definitely watching it with 2021 eyes. The, it was filmed during 9 11 as well. Yeah. So, um, And the bit at the beginning when Jim, played by Kelly Murphy, wakes from his coma and. Um, is wandering through a deserted London and, and finds all these boards of people sort of who, who've written who, uh, stuck up pictures and notes for the for for people that, that they've lost. Um, apparently, it was criticised at the time for sort of being too too soon, even though it was filmed before that particular bit was filmed before um, before the event. Yeah, it's not as if they rushed out to insert that shot in. 
the kind of thing. No, that 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 had been done in disasters before. I don't, I don't think. Yeah, I, I just think... owns the photo board. I understand that. I understand that. You know, it was pretty raw watching watching that, having seen that in real life and whatever. But yeah, no, that 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 had been in disasters before. That a lot of things were criticised. I mean, I remember Lord of the Rings. They there was a petition to change it to Lord of the Rings two rather than yeah, the two towers. Of two towers. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, and people people react to things in different ways, and and there certainly was a rejig in entertainment and everything. Some tackled it head on, some avoided it, some kind of whatever. But um, yeah, I think I think ordinarily it it just strikes me as painfully realistic. <laughs> you know, we've seen that in numerous disasters and stuff. Now, it's uh, always heartbreaking. So it's a it's a good addition. I like I like when he's he's uh, going around. He's stumbling around the hospital and he picks up the cans, and then he picks up the money that's just outside. Like because he because th- I mean you can tell. I mean obviously he can't, but like you can tell that it's worthless. <laughs> like yes, it's not yeah, going to have any place. But, but you know, still, I think I would. And what's his favorite drink, Rob? Uh, Pepsi. No, Tango. Tango, yeah. I did make a note about the vending machines. So when he walks through the hospital and uh, finds those busted vending machines and sort of picks up all the cans, maybe nostalgic for, the, for for vending machines look like that. They don't look like that anymore. Do you know what? I mean, this this is probably maybe one of the reasons we're friends. I saw that Mars machine, yeah, and I was like, oh, that takes me back—the big old Mars bar, and yeah, then yeah, all yeah, the other yeah, ones yeah. behind. I mean, yeah. that just shows how under the thumb of consumerist culture we are. We actually miss vending machines literal machines to take our money and give us a pittance back we're we're terrible people rob have you watched uh, walking dead i have it's amazingly how similar the jim waking up in a hospital bed and sort of walking through a deserted hospital is oh, to what definitely. was then used in uh, i don't know when the comic came out and whether it's meant to be inspired by i think the comic came out in the early 2000s okay so i mean maybe yeah I think I, I I don't know if there's a direct thing, but certainly the timeline sort of matches up. I think the comic was what two thousand three, something like that. So it's possible. I find the opening, uh, like the looks at the cold open, very um, I don't know, the, the, not not disturbing, but when you've got the sort of the chimpanzee in the cage just banging after like um, sort of banging against the cage and screaming mm. as the humans have been infected with the rage virus, you find that disturbing. It's it's more the sound. It's the, it's the it's quite. A, I, I don't know. I, I, um, like when you you you're not actually seeing what's happening, but you're just hearing that constant that shriek and the bang. Yeah, and no, bang. it's it's horrible. And David Snyder is the uh, is the scientist that tried Indeed, to warn. Yeah. So animal rights activists were behind it all. They were responsible. Well, there is a series of comics called Twenty Eight Days Later: The Aftermath. And the first issue, which I do have a copy of because it came with the DVD, uh, two scientists are, I think they're, they're trying to create something to suppress people's rage and they use uh, the flu vi- uh, the flu virus as a way of transmitting it and they modify Ebola mm. as, as a sort of a way of suppressing and spreading this, this uh, anti-rage virus, but it causes, it makes people incredibly angry. And one of the scientists quits and phones up the, uh, the Animal Freedom Fund front oh uh, right and gives the, and, tips, and, them and tips them off yep ah that's kind of cool actually 
I quite like that as a little bit of backstory. Hmm. Jim waking up in hospital in a locked hospital room. Yeah. As well, I like that. And someone's posted the key under the door. Yeah. It's it's a very, very effective opening. Because you, yes. you feel yeah. that disorientation. Walk, walking through the sort of deserted London and you've got oh, John Murphy's score slowly building as he sort of discovers more and more. It's creepy as hell. It's interesting how they filmed it. They were, apparently would uh, go out at four in the morning and only filmed up to 45 minutes past sunrise to kind of get London at its emptiest. Mm. And there's a bit where Jim walks past a double-decker bus, which is on its side. Mm. And apparently it took the crews 20 minutes to lie on its side, film the scene, and tidy it up again. Wow. Yeah, film crews can be amazing. Yeah, yeah. It's one of the first films to be fully shot on digital cameras because they were easier to set up than traditional film. Yeah, well, you can definitely tell because this film looks rough. I think it kind of adds to it. Oh, no. It, to that sort of post-apocalyptic. Yeah, no, it's entirely intentional. But, you know, I watched the Blu-ray and I wasn't expecting super crisp kind of visuals or whatever. But it does it does look like it was recorded off the TV in sort of 99, which, as mm. you said, does add to it. And it's, it, is, it is clearly designed that way. It definitely adds to it. It definitely adds to the sort of gritty feel to it, to the, the real feel of it, which is important. And I like the sort of, I like the fact that Danny Boyle, or the cinematographer or whoever uses a lot of Dutch angles and kind of weird ways of looking up at the sort of buildings and everything to make it seem like, you know, it's familiar, but it's off. Yeah. Something's off about it. So yeah, that's really cool. That's it's a, it's a really, and it, it, the whole thing is super effective. I mean, the, the score definitely does a lot of heavy lifting because as you said, that sort of build up when he's just walking around and that sort of tension ratcheting is yeah. oh it's so good. It just has you, doesn't it? It just yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it just has you by the throat. Just you, you don't want to look away just in case. But uh yeah, so that's incredible. It's got a really effective jump scare in in this bit parked in the middle of a abandoned oh, yeah. in the middle of a box yeah. junction. And I I I think you're almost expecting some something to jump out at him. But it's yeah. not, it's just the car alarm goes off and you know, that yeah. silent street in it, yeah. Yeah, well, you expect, you expect like a an infected Roar, inside, yeah. don't you? Yeah. Kind, of, kind of banging at the window and whatever. So, so yeah, the fact it's just a car alarm, yeah, it does, does jangle the nerves. Then he gets pulled into a corner shop. Well, he, goes, he visits a church first. And oh, sees yeah. All these, he sees all these dead, dead bodies. And yeah. a, a zombie priest. Do, 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 do. Wow. And uh, yeah, he hits him with a bag of cans and cash. <laughs> and then, yeah. You know when you've been tangoed. Curses himself. Yes. I shouldn't have done that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he then runs to a petrol station. Ah, yeah, it's a petrol station. And he's rescued there where somebody turns on the petrol and th- throws a firebomb at it. It's a great explosion. Looks very, very cool. And uh, and it's, it's there we're introduced to Naomi Harris. Yep, who plays Selena? Yeah, and she's brilliant. Killian Murphy and her—they're they're, just—they're the standouts of the movie. Yeah, and and you can see why they both went on to, well, bigger and better seems like it's denigrating the movie, but you know, bigger roles and kind of more kind of things because they're star-making performances. And um, yeah, her tough as nails, kind of Selena and everything. It, it yeah, she's fantastic. I think Selena's uh, character arc is quite a, is a complete one because she sort of arises this kind of tropey kind of 
uh, or just a badass warrior uh, woman. Yeah, like sort of sort of walking around with a machete and, and being every inch the sort of really capable survivor, which is you know a cool trope from these types of films. Mm. And then as she goes on, she sort of finds I get or regains her humanity. Ah, you see, whereas Jim goes the other way. Yeah, I didn't think of that. And you have the bit where she tells him that if if he was infected, she'd sort of kill him in a heartbeat. Mm. And then obviously, yeah, that was more than a heartbeat. Yep. So yeah. they meet. They meet. Uh, Frank and Hannah, played by Brendan Gleeson and Megan Burns, as sort of a father and Both daughter. Both played by Brendan Gleeson. Yes. He's just that amazing. <laughs> Excellent range. It is. But, you know, I love Brendan Gleeson. I keep seeing him and stuff, and he's just he's just always brilliant. Um, so he could have played the daughter if he wanted to, but I think he just stuck with Frank. And uh, not hearing his Irish tones was a little bit sort of uh, it is now yeah 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 you kind of just expect it because he's got such a great voice and great accent but him being a bit of a cockney white boy that's all right too they're in a tower block and they're making a plan to drive to manchester because they've heard a radio broadcast saying that the answer to infection is here so frank and hannah and jim and selena drive in a taxi up to manchester can't get more british than that no, it's just it, that's the thing though. This has so many like British things in it. Yeah, it it does actually make you a little bit patriotic. Well, like the the national lottery placement everywhere. Yes, well they co-funded the movie, yes. didn't yeah, they? Yeah, so yeah. so having that logo pop up in in uh, everything and and going to a Budgeons is Budgeons still about? I don't know. I do like that scene, that supermarket scene. I do as well, and I like the the uh, music. Yeah, so it's, I think it's Granddaddy. Is this? Yeah. Which was also used as the theme for Charlie Brooker's screen wipe. That's where I recognise it from. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a very happy. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's not cool. too far from Game of Thrones, that mate. Do 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 do. They are different in the thing. It's just I have limited range. The bit uh, where where Frank is looking at the apples and goes irradiated, obviously, uh, uh, sort of pops into my head from time to time. As does you can as does you can taste the vitamin C. Yeah, it, it's weird because it's those little moments that really stick out when when you've got, I, I think a lot of films that have that sort of tension and have that sort of constant kind of drive, they almost seem kind of reluctant to do to slow it down and have a scene where people like either enjoy themselves or just talk or something like that. And it it just it just adds layers to it, and that supermarket scene is important because they do get to chill out a little bit, and they do get to act yeah, like real have people. Have some fun, yeah, get some yeah, exactly. Terry's chocolate orange, Terry's chocolate orange, um, you know, and 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 that's yeah, that is important because you need you can't just have one tone all the time. I think there there were quite a few horror films that just feel like having like a lighter hearted kind of bit or whatever will sort of detract from the overall thing and it doesn't it just adds to it i mean done yeah, right yeah. obviously if it kind of appears in the middle of uh some kind of a horrifying scene then yeah you, you've got to do it correctly but it makes it all the deeper because you remember those moments well i guess in a lot of other films that would be the, the point where the infected attack yeah there'll be a bit where she reaches for a terry's chocolate orange or something and then then you know like takes it off the shelf and there's an infected behind goes ah yeah. and then you yeah. know and then it another action scene kicks off I like the bit at the end of that where Frank leaves his credit card on the uh, on the <laughs> counter as they all leave. I do as well. Uh, that's a lovely little moment. Yeah, and that's it. It just it you get to understand their personalities a bit better. You get to kind of see them actually just just decompress a little bit. 
and and yeah it's important and i i i love that scene and so i, I like the, the scene where they're talking about where they're all at that sort of the castle ruins yes yeah and and they're eating all the food and everything that that's yeah, the you can taste the vitamin c it, it is, is it? it is yeah yeah, it yeah. Is, yeah you're right so yeah no that's that's really cool and you see the horses yeah which because i keep thinking of that sodding advert now <laughs> the Lloyd's TSP one. Always by your side. I know, and it's just like stop overcharging people, you cunts. It's got nothing to do with a horse running. And maybe right. your logo. Honestly, you're taking on Mars, you're taking on on uh, TSP, Lloyd's Mate, people, Lloyd's. I'm taking down the entire system. <laughs> yeah. I'm not a part of your system. But please remember to like, share, and subscribe. Yeah. Yeah, it it does it does help us, and one day we can sell out and get sponsorships from these companies. <laughs> and some bastard will pick up this old episode and go check out what they said about you, and then we get dropped. I'm only Gone. accepting sponsorship from Jelly Snakes. Yes, Jelly Snakes people. Do you know who's behind Jelly Snakes? We can put out a, a shout out to them now to get in contact. Who makes Jelly Snakes? I don't know. Oh, I'll find that out. That's your home Angels from heaven, week. that's who. You're sucking them off already. No money's changed hands. Anyway, back to the zombies. Yeah. When uh, Frank is filling up the taxi from an abandoned tanker, uh, Jim goes into a sort of roadside cafe to get cheeseburgers. That was a bit I didn't understand. Why he's going for cheeseburgers? Well, because clearly not. But, like, I, I, is he just having a poke around? Does he kind of just want to see more devastation? Does he want to hit something? I think so, because by that point, he's sort of brandishing the baseball bat and he, he's sort of got more of a, like, a cocksure swagger to him. So you reckon he's, he's that that's, the like, the start of the bloodlust? I almost wonder if he's kind of looking for trouble, in a way. Yeah, because clearly the cheeseburgers will be rotten. Yeah. So, you know, and that's clearly a bullshit kind of thing. So... Yeah, maybe he is looking for a fight. And he gets attacked by an infected child and kills it with a bat. Yeah. I, I, I always find that... I, I, oh, look, mate, I, I mean, I've seen the film loads of times, but I did rewind it at that point, watching it this time around, because <laughs> he hears somebody say, I hate you, as he as he kills... The, uh, as he sort of raises his bat. And I wasn't sure whether the implication was meant to be, is it just a feral, scared child? Mm. But it isn't. It, it, it is clearly... And infected. It was just weird. It's it's, it's definitely a zombie child, but uh, I didn't do, hear do, the do, "I do, hate do, you." Yeah, it's, it's it's as he's screaming, as the child is screaming at him. So, yeah, that's that's a very odd scene. That I think I spent to show that yeah, as Selena is finding her humanity with yeah the family, he's he's kind his. of losing his yeah for sure, and it comes up later. Hmm. So so you know, it's not just like a weird scene that doesn't have. Not a payoff as such, but it's not as if it's never mentioned again. It is. Well, I guess he's he's adapting to this new world. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But uh, but yeah, grim scene. Only gets grimmer. Mm. So they drive to the blockade mentioned mentioned in the in the radio message and wind a siren. But Jim uh, Frank loses his sort of temper because he's. You pinned all his hopes in this, and there's nothing tangible there. Yeah, and there's a crow or something like that feeding on a, one of, uh, corpse. a a corpse of one of the infected. 
mm. and a drop of a single drop of blood land, lands in Frank's eye, and mm. he then becomes infected. We get a blood POV shot into yeah, his eye. Yes, yeah, which yeah. is cool. And that's but, and that's really sad. The way he sort of then sort of trying to tell his daughter he loves her, and then just screaming, "Keep away!" Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. A very it was sad a moment. Damn shame! Damn shame when when. Frank buys the farm because he was he was just lovable. But that's that's what you got to do in a zombie movie. You can't have all these lovable characters. They've got to die in horrible ways. But then he gets shot by a bunch of soldiers. They turn up and say hi. The, the army take uh, Jim, Selena, and Hannah to a big house, which is being run by a very Chris, big house in the country. Yeah, being run by uh, Christopher Eccleston. What program was he in? Uh. I was trying to think of a funny answer, like another TV series he's been in, but fucking Doctor Who, you prick. Yes, that still counts as one. I know. That still counts as one. Told you I'll get a reference. <laughs> anyway, so Doctor Who has, has commandeered a house. Don't call him um, Doctor Who, because he does some horrific shit. That's true. Um, Doctor would never do that. No. So he says, he uh, Chris Ruxton says he has the the answer to infection, which is basically trying to rebuild. And one of his men has been infected and they've kept him chained up in the garden. They're sort of eat, but yeah, in, in this mansion eating, well, just eating, trying to find survivors. And I think everyone's gone a bit cabin, fe- uh, has a bit of cabin fever. Mm. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. It's, it's a, it's a proper stronghold. You know, they've got high walls. They've got the uh, surrounding grounds laced with trip mines and landmines and all sorts. And, They've got floodlights and guns and everything. They've got a lot of controls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it it does seem like a safe house, but as always with the zombie movies, sometimes the, the zombies aren't the greatest threat. Yeah. It's the humans who have survived. So, spoiler alert: they turn out to be bastards. I did actually find Chris Jackson's quite like Mallory in Bond, before you find out that he's a uh, a bad guy. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. But I guess it's that kind of. Yeah, British Army, sort of posh major. Mm, that slow turn, where they start getting a little bit more, kind of bastardly, and then you know they kind of that one tries it on with Selena, and and you know it's and then he the major comes in and stops the whole situation. But it's just it it builds. You know something's not on the level yeah. because it can't be. But you don't quite know it's as bad as it is. So when that happens, is uh, yeah, it's great. It, I mean, it's not great for them, obviously, but it's great in terms of you know drama. It's very very cool, actually. I think you know that would normally be uh, a lull in the movie where they get to like a safe house and whatever. And even if, if the safe house turns out to be not so safe, you'd kind of miss the zombies and whatever. But you don't. There's, it's still a constant threat, and they do a very good job of reminding you of that with the chained up zombie, sorry, infected outside. With There's a bit the, of a night assault as well, where they do try and attack, infected do try and attack the house. Yeah, yeah. So you know they 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 do remind you of it quite well. So it is it is really good. But then Rob, what happens? Well, the major's plan is to basically use the women to restart. The population and that's mm. the future to fight infection so because jim isn't on board with this he's sentenced to be executed and is left taken out along with the one good army guy yeah the sergeant i liked him yeah 
Well, I think you meant to really. Oh yeah, also, yeah, yeah. He, he also implies that um, that it's only happening in Britain. That the rest of the world is carrying on. It's not a global pandemic. It's just it's just in the UK, and they've, mm. and they've basically been. I think he says quarantined or or, or, or lockdown or something. Yeah, well, there is there is a there is mention of lockdown and things like that, and it, it does does have a different emotional weight now, doesn't it? But uh, yeah, taken out to the woods to be shot. It seemed like a lot of infected, but were those just people who got in their way? I think there were people who got in their way, whether yeah. they were sort of people in the house or whether... Yeah. Because yeah. uh, it, it definitely seemed like a, a, a kind of Mass designated crazy. area yeah. for, for murder. Yeah, well, yeah, they kill the, uh, the the good army guy. And so Jim, <laughs> and Jim makes his escape. Yeah, and jumps over a wall and loses his shirt, and then see. I think he's lying up, looking at the ground, and uh, sorry, lying on the ground, looking up, and sees a plane fly overhead. So realizes that it is only happening in the UK. The rest of the world is just carrying on. Yeah, I I know I know. I think Danny Boyle filmed that in his garden. Did he? Yeah, through the trees. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I think that was that was one of the only bits of trivia that I kind of came across. Uh, that, that I was like, oh yeah, and, and yeah, he just. Just, he just rushed out with the camera and, and filmed that. So, so yeah. And then then Jim becomes a badass. Well, it goes back to the house and you've got this horrible scene where the army uh, guys are making the, the, the women undress and it's yeah, quite a sinister, horrible scene. Mm. And Selena gives Hannah, I think, well, something to kind of make her, she said it will make you not care. Yeah. I know that's dark, dark as hell. Yeah, yeah. Really and then back at the the block, the alarm for the blockade goes because Jim has summoned summoned them back. So the major and one of his men go. And at this point, you've got Jim running in front of the camera, a lot of like quick movements in front of the camera, which previously has always been the infected. Yeah, and it's now it's Jim. Yeah, yeah, he's become the monster. Indeed, and he fucks that guy up with a pipe or something. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, give them disable, clobbering, and then disables the uh, yeah, the van, and sets uh, them carefully gym. in the van. <laughs> yes, but yeah, it's it's an it's an interesting sort of transformation, isn't it? The the fact that he just he just goes primal, yeah, and just that that sort of that sort of surviving thing, and it's it's very very cool, and the the rain definitely adds something to it. I mean, I know thunder and lightning for you know some kind of thing is is cliche and whatever, but. The sort of heavy rain pouring down with got that blockade and everything. It's such a cool scene. And you still feel the horror despite it being the good guy <laughs> yeah, being yeah, the one yeah. fucking them up. Like it's still, That's true, it's still he, yeah. nasty. Yes. Well he he goes back to house and then the oh the tune by, by John Murphy, which is I think I mentioned it before because we have done a Danny Boyle episode. Yeah. Um where we talked about one of the I talked about one of the pieces of music in Sunshine. And this is fantastic. This oh, this sort of piece of music. So it starts good. this like sort of, I think lone piano and builds this massive crescendo, and it's fantastic. It's a great yes. piece of music, and it's, it is. it's been used in quite a lot of things, uh, including Twenty Eight Weeks Later, which we'll get to. Definitely one kick-ass film, possibly two. It's been used in adverts and things, and it's a phenomenal piece of music. It really is. Yeah. So as as this is going on, um, Jim is stalking the house. He, he frees the chained up infected uh, into the house, and either the army guys become infected or he or Jim kills them in fairly brutal ways. Fairly brutal. He fucking puts his thumbs in that guy's eyes. Well, the first one I was thinking of was the kind of the, uh, the chef who he sort of 
just leaves a bayonet in. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's nasty. But like, yeah, no, the, 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 the eye the, gouging the, is difficult yeah. to watch. Yeah, especially for the guy who's getting it done. <laughs> well, he gets his head slammed in the into the wall a bunch of times first. Yeah, and yeah. then then you get that. So yeah, it's uh, it's nasty. And it should be. That's that's it. It should be nasty. These, I mean, and especially that guy because he was like oh, the yeah, rapist, yeah. Yes. like kind of leader of of that sort of thing. He was the one who was who was leading that whole thing. So something bad really needs to happen to him. And it's good that it's Jim that is the uh, the vessel for that horrible thing happening to him. So you know that is good. But yeah, it's nasty. Genuinely, and it still still makes you go, ooh. But, you know, that's the point. So that all happens. He said that was more than a heartbeat. Yep. So Selena, Selena doesn't, yeah, they do some kissing. She doesn't kill him. And then Hannah no. tries to hit him with a uh, Yeah, because she thought. I li- but I like that bit of humour. Yeah. Like, that the, she thought it was by you. And are you stoned? You know, you know that, that whole thing is great. Again, don't be afraid of a bit of humour. It's it's good for those moments. It should be a roller coaster. You can't just have one thing. It can't just be all incline on a roller coaster. You got to have dips and turns and shit. You know. You can't and have the, you can't have the uh, the rainbow without a bit of rain. No, it's the other way around because these are happy things. <laughs> <laughs> if you want the rainbow, you're going to have to put up with the rain. Yeah. The quote, except except this, it doesn't apply in this one, does it? No, it doesn't at all. I don't know why you brought it up. Yeah, that little bit. It, it's just again, a bit of humanity, a bit of personality. It makes it all the richer. Don't don't you know? A, a, I mean, ha, have you seen like a thriller or some kind of horror movie? And as we as we said at the start, we're not experts, but that just kind of keeps one tone, and it just becomes exhausting. So, I mean, yeah. It's it it's like it's just it's just terrible thing layered upon terrible thing, and and you get kind of numb to it after a while because it, it 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 doesn't give you those peaks and troughs you need those, and you know and as I said I'm not an expert I'm sure it's very 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 difficult to do a horror movie to actually make a good one is even harder you know it it's it's ridiculous but normally what I see from kind of lower budget movies usually is that they are they're scared of not being taken seriously and so they won't have those bits of levity they won't have those bits you know they they've just got to they just keep laying on the sort of horror and and it's not the way 28 days later proves that and the film ends with uh jim selena and hannah hold held up in a, in a sort of country cottage well, well i think the important thing is that Christopher Eccleston is in the back of the cab. They go to the cab to escape. Oh, yes. yes. And then, then he shoots Jim. And then Hannah backs the cab into... It, what was his name? Mitchell? Mailer. Mailer. I knew it began with an M. Uh, yeah, who smashes the back window and, and, and takes him out. So that's good. So, you know, Eccleston gets monstered on by the zombies. By the um, zombie he kept alive or infected he kept alive. Yeah, we were starving him. Yeah. <laughs> so So, you know... That's a nice bit of poetic justice, and and yeah, and then they they escape, and then we cut to twenty eight days later. Twenty eight days later, yeah, in in a bit because they've got that sort of 
helicopter footage because I don't think drone footage would have been available to them back right. then. It reminds me of the opening of Father Ted, <laughs> the rolling countryside <laughs> and the kind of doom, 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 doom. But uh, it isn't. <laughs> it isn't Father Ted. Yeah, so they're holed up in a in a cottage, and uh, everything seems pretty idyllic. The infected are starving and dying. Yes, and they make the word hello. Yep. On 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 the grass with every bit of available fabric that they have, including the curtains. Yes. And, to sit and, onto a plane. Yeah. And so we have to talk about. The, the alternate endings, don't we? Which which one? Well, I'm going to talk about the one that should have been on this film to start well, with. Well, there's the chicken one. <laughs> yeah. Where it's basically the ending, as you've just said. Mm. Um, but Jim doesn't recover from the gunshot and is replaced by a chicken. And it's only Selena and, uh, Selena and Hannah that are alive at the end. But they still signal to... Uh, to the airplane in the same way with the uh, with the bed sheets, well, with the word hello. Mm. But it's just when Selena's talking, she's talking to a chicken. What the hell are you talking about? Chickens. Yeah, no, I, I get that. I watched the alternate end and there was no chicken. There's three alternate endings. Oh, okay. Well, I didn't watch the chicken one then. I watched the one where he, they, Rush him to hospital. They get him into hospital, and he so just after, dies. So he's, he's after he's shot by Christopher Eccleston. Yeah, they take him to hospital, yeah. and, and he just dies. The film ends with him alone on the table, as as with Jim alone on the table, as Selena and Hannah walk out and sort of ready to you know fight the infected. Yeah, and apparently it was changed because of test audiences. That was the original ending of the movie, and that's what yeah Danny Boyle considers the true ending. Yeah, well, it is because it. Jim ended up in the same place as he started, just sort of alone yeah. in the room on a bed. The audiences, the, te- the test audiences, thought that Selena and Hannah were just going out to die, that they hadn't survived, they hadn't made it. It was a really bleak yeah, ending. But, but Selena has proven herself to be very capable. It's fucking badass. Yeah, but now she cares. Yeah, I know, but it doesn't matter. That's a test audiences, man. They can suck a dick. Well, sometimes it has improvements. Have you heard? Did you? So there's a third alternate ending. Which is another film, but it was storyboarded, and it completely changed the film. Oh yeah, yeah, so, that, that was uh, the one where the soldiers well, don't. Uh, turn uh, up, uh, right? Yeah, soldiers don't turn up. Yeah. So Frank is infected. And don't ever Frank is infected, <laughs> and they manage to subdue him. And instead of it being an army blockade, there is a science there laboratory there, and there's a there's a scientist who's locked himself in a room who says that the answer is that he needs a full blood transfusion. So Jim swaps his blood for Frank's and then it is left on a table uh, consumed by the rage virus as, as there's sort of all these monitors flickering around him, which meant to be a, ref- uh, a sort of a, an echo of the chimpanzee in the beginning of the film. Mm. But it, it was never filmed. It was only storyboarded. And uh, Danny Boyle said that there was... That because by this point they had established that a single drop was enough to infect someone, there was absolutely no way you could do a complete blood transfusion. There'd be no trace. Yeah. So it, it would have been completely implausible. Yeah, that would have been some that that would have set off the bullshitometer. Yeah. Even even in a film like this, you can only push uh, credibility so far. And and you ha- you know if it's not even playing by the rules that it's set up, yeah. Then you know then what's the point? 
So yeah, I, I hated that. No, I think the 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 true the true ending, the one where you know, and it look, it sucks that Jim dies. I I like Jim a lot. Yeah, and I think you 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 do get to learn quite a bit about him, and I I think that Kelly Murphy does such an amazing job. Yeah, but you know the zombie apocalypse is that any kind of victory is a pyrrhic victory. You know, you lose people along the way, and he helped save them from the uh, the army guys. So you know, the, so that sort of sacrificial play that. That that's about as good a death as you can pretty much get in in the kind of thing. So so them kind of going off and and whatever. Yeah, that that should be that should be on the film. Full stop. I, I not that I mind the sort of the the sort of happier ending, but it it just feels because of all this sort of tension and horror and and Ooh. I beg your pardon. <laughs> Because of all the tension and the horror that has come before, it felt like a, a little bit of a cop out to me because it was it was a little bit too idyllic, you know, the sun shining through the window, not the curtains because they're part of the thing, you know. Yeah. It, it it just and he's you know he's got a, like a, <laughs> a a patch on on the side of his stomach. He, the dude was shot, like I don't know, but I I just even though I like the character and characters in general. I, that happy ending did feel tacked on, and okay. and and I think maybe they even made it a little bit sarcastically, a bit like the dodgeball ending. Yeah, it doesn't ruin the movie or anything like that, but it just now you know now that I know that there's a better ending out there, and that's not what Danny Boyle or Alex Garland intended to have on the thing. It's just like have have the proper ending, make well, that the director's cut. Well, in America, it was. Uh, tacked on at the end so it had the ending and it had a bit of the credits and then it had popped up with dot 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 what if and then they show this uh, this ending and yeah. then they do that when they show it on sky as well apparently yeah but that that's not the same though is it no Sometimes... I, I, I don't mind it I, I, i'm happy they got out <clears throat> yeah that it, that's something that they got out and that's great but you know much prefer the darker ending of them, and I like the the shot of the doors slowly closing on uh, Selena and Hannah as they walk mm. off as well. That sort of thing. I think that's a a good way to end a movie. So there's a couple of follow up comics. Um, there's one that which was called Twenty Eight Days Later, the comic, which Selena was the main character and Jim was dead, mm. and it involved American troops experimenting with the virus on uh, using it on people on the Isle of Wight. And Selena is captured by a soldier that Chris Jackson used to be his major, and is taken to the house in Manchester and tortured, which sounds lovely. Oh, lovely! Well, there were other ideas for a sequel. Uh, one was going. One was going to be twenty nine days later, which was going to continue being about uh, Killian Murphy and Naomi Harris. And there was also going to be a se- another idea was to have a sequel set in the same time frame as the original film, but be about a group of people that are trying to rescue the royal family. Oh God. Why? I don't know. <laughs> Instead, we got 28 weeks later in two, uh, 2007, directed mm. by Juan Carlos Fresnadillo, who co-wrote it with Ryan Joffe, Enrique Lopez-Levine, and uh, Jesus Olmo. Music by John Murphy, starring Robert Carlyle, excellent first name, Rose Byrne, Jeremy Renner, Harold Perrineau, Catherine McCormack, Imogen Poots, and Idris Elba, which is a hell of a cast. It is. And plus, the thing is, Rob, see, you've messed up here because you've, 
you've missed out my favorite cast member. Did you look at the uh, Are you actor's in name? It? Yeah, I'm in it. Okay. Uh, did you look at the uh, actor's name who plays Andy? No. His name is Macintosh Muggleton. Okay. That's the best name I've ever heard. Sounds like a made up name. It does. Although, if you'd been asked to make his name, you'd have just called him like John Jonesson or something. <laughs> You're terrible at making up names on the spot. I'm amazing at it. What are you talking about? So this wasn't directed by Danny Boyle because he was filming Sunshine instead, but he yeah. is an executive producer. Yeah. It took, it took a year to rewrite the script. Have you seen Intacto? I have not. Okay, well, that's what Juan Carlos Fresnadillo did beforehand. And he's going to direct the live-action Sword in the Stone film for Disney. He's a good director. Intacto is uh, about luck being a transferable thing there's a if you have someone's picture it takes the whole idea of a photo stealing your soul yeah but instead it's like it can steal your luck and luck is this 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 powerful kind of thing and so there's a guy going around with a briefcase full of photos of people that he's, he's taken and they they test the luck in one scene by blindfolding a bunch of people and getting them to run through a forest and obviously the ones that hit trees aren't lucky <laughs> But it's a really, really good movie, and I suggest okay. you check it out. I didn't make the link between him directing that and this because, yeah. Well, we'll, we'll get into it. So, yeah, we've we, it's uh, twenty eight weeks later. The plot from the back of the DVD. Yeah, hooray! Right. Physical media. The tagline is eradication, repopulation, reinfection. Mm. Uh, prepare for a mind blowing assault on the senses as the terror and devastation unleashed in 28 days later picks up six months after the rage virus has decimated the city of London. The US Army has restored order and is repopulating the quarantine city when a carrier of the rage virus enters London and unknowingly reignites the spread of the deadly infection once again. Dot, dot, dot. Mm. Um, so I don't like this movie. Uh, yeah, I'm going to. Sp- kind of spoil my kind of uh, opinion off the bat here because I can respect that there are some good people there. I love Robert Carlyle. I think he's brilliant. Not necessarily in this movie. It just It's a performance. I'm sure it's better than I could do. But, you know, Robert Carlyle has been much better in other things. And as you said, hell of a cast. Jeremy Renner, Idris Elba, a lot of them before they became like super yeah, big yeah. as well. You know, Rose Byrne, and she's always good. Yeah. Uh, Imogen Poots, the young Imogen Poots. So I can I can recognise that it's got a good cast and it's made well, but I don't I I don't feel invested in it at all. I think it's quite clinical. I think it sort of keeps you at quite a lot of arm's length for a lot of the film. Mm. Um, I remember reading around the time that the, I think is it Book of Shadows is a sequel to Blair Witch, which I'm not seeing. Yes, but it is. Seeing uh, sort of reading something saying that. You know, the first Blair Witch film was a you know a found footage horror film and sort of filmed on hand cameras or looks like it's filmed on hand cameras. Mm. But um, Book of Shadows starts with like this opening aerial shot of the forest, and that there's no way they would have been able to afford it for the first film. And this film, uh, 28 weeks later, has so many sort of aerial shots, and it, yeah. it just it just puts me in mind of that. Like, like it, it it's had a lot more money spent on it. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I mean, it. it... You know, watching watching them back to back, the uh, the the difference in in kind of film quality alone is is pretty stunning. Well, it you is know, almost that Alien versus Aliens thing. Yeah, but there are people who argue that Aliens is better than Alien. They're wrong, but they argue that. But yeah, it it is. It, it's the small scale, and then the sort of bigger scale, and and 
I mean, 28 Days Later did not need a sequel. Didn't we say all we needed to say with the first one? I mean, didn't we? Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, horror films tend to... Well, I think because they're quite cheap to make and they return when they, you know, when they hit big, are, are massive. Mm. I think that's why they make a lot of sequels to to these ones, because they are comparatively cheap to make. I know, but that doesn't mean we should just accept it. And and sequels can be a, a great thing. I mean, shit, I'm not sick of Marvel movies yet. I'm not sick of James Bond movies. You know, and those those have had so many sequels. But it's just, I I felt that the, the way that 28 Days Later was presented, I felt that that sort of viewpoint hadn't really been done before. Uh, it, it felt new and fresh. This feels very generic. Which is a shame because, as I said, there there's a lot of good stuff here on paper, but then certain things that just really kind of like, just just like it's, okay. So Robert Carlyle, you open with Robert Carlyle. He's he's the dad. He's he's this guy. They he's got his wife there. Their kids are away on some school trip abroad, and they're they're in like a, a house with a bunch of other people, like an old couple and some other people. They clearly hold up and the infected attack. And well, the boy they let in comes from the village of Sandford, which is the one in Hoffers. Oh, yeah, they let me and, and just it all goes wrong. The infected storm the place, and Robert Carlyle ends up running out of the house, leaving his wife and the, everyone and else, everyone else to their fate. And so, you know, already, I mean, I god knows, I god knows what if I was confronted with that horror, I don't know what I'd do, <laughs> I probably would try and run, but. You know that, but I'm a coward, <laughs> so I well, guess so, so is he. Yeah, well, that's it. But like, you know, I I I realize that you know your brain doesn't necessarily work properly when confronted with those horrible situations. But obviously, as a constructed narrative, he's a dick for leaving his his wife. And I'm sure if my loved ones were in jeopardy, I think I'd try and do something about it rather than just fucking see her. So yeah, so he runs away. So automatically you don't like him and that's fine that you know that's interesting i like the fact that he's kind of lying to his kids as well well yeah so when he's reunited with his kids they ask him what happened to to their mum and he sort of but re rewrites the story to say that he tried to fight the infected off but couldn't yeah and he saw and, her die and I, I think he's almost trying to convince himself mm. yeah because yeah, he's he's clearly feeling guilty about it. Oh yeah, clearly. I mean, that's it. He's not like a villain. Yeah. He's just he just acted cowardly, and and he's got to face up to that. But yeah, and the idea is that parts of London have been like properly quarantined. They're on lockdown. Well, so they, they, they've, they've got been, a complex. They've been uh, so because it. Well, you get a timeline, a text timeline of what happens following the infection and how long it takes mm. to spread, how long it takes to stop when the sort of the US troops move into London and sort of begin a cleanup operation. Mm. So yeah, there's there's areas that are meant to be safe that they're repopulating. I'm not sure I'd want to go back. No. And I do like that that sort of army woman who who kind of acts like a tour guide. Uh, yeah. when they're on the train. And if you look to the left, you'll see that, you know, kind of a place that isn't completely crawling with infected and wild dogs and rats that was a that was a cool kind of uh detail that i liked i wanted to see the wild dogs and rats we saw the rats in the first one uh, i like that that you yeah do see kind of the impact it's had yeah. and it, the, the rather than being it's kind of post post-apocalyptic mm. 
Yeah, and and Don, I think, is Rob Carlyle's character. I couldn't work out whether it was Don or Sean or John because it screamed a lot at the beginning, hmm. but then you don't really get it. But I, I believe it's Don. Is it's uh, Don? It's uh, Don Doyle. No, no, that's Jeremy Renner. That's right, Jeremy Renner. Yes, sorry, Doyle. It's, it's Don. Yeah, I just looked it up. Right, fine. <laughs> see, so you weren't even sure. So we'll just keep calling him Robert Carlyle. Yeah. And so he's got this all access card. He says he runs the place, but obviously he doesn't. He's just bragging in front of his kids. But he, he's clearly, I mean, he's clearly got the card. From I don't know how. But that leads to one of the dumbest things that I've seen in a while. And it's a shame because, I said before, not a movie logic guy. But there are certain things when when the story isn't grabbing me. There are, there, And it feels like it's sort of bending over backwards to get to a certain like bit then I start having a problem with it. So the kids wander out of the quarantine zone. Yes, I, I, I didn't get that. Uh, well, maybe a, a heavily protected area. Yeah, so, yeah. so the fact that they went so, but, you know, whatever. People do dumb shit during quarantines. I think we can both attest to that. Not that we did dumb shit. I mean, other people. I just want to clear that up. But, you know, I, my faith in the human race when it comes to any sort of disaster or any kind of con- controlled thing and you got fucking idiots going out there marching and saying, oh, no lockdown. Um, fuck them. People acting stupidly during a dangerous time, that is no longer an issue for me. I fully believe it, 100%. And they're kids as well, and kids are stupid for the most part. So they wander out, they go back to their old house, and their mum is still alive. But she she's been bitten she's infected but she isn't like rage infected she's got magical eyes yeah she's not quite right but she's not a full rage beast and she's got magical eyes that's true is it just the 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 brown and blue yeah uh, i don't know or is it all heterochromia because if so my dad would would actually be resistant to the the zombie thing whereas i'd be fucked okay my dad has one eye brown and one eye green I okay. have green eyes, and my sister has brown eyes. Just a little, little, little tidbit, personal factoid for you. There's a lot about eyes in 28 weeks later. There, there is, and mine were offended. <laughs> That's not true. The brain behind them was offended, but the eyes, the eyes were pr- perfectly happy. But the point being is, they go and see their mum, and the mum comes back into the fray, and you have a whole bit where they say to Robert Carl, "We got your kids back. Don't worry." And Link from uh, the Matrix sequels finds them because he's the pilot again. Did you pick up on that? Oh, I just see him as was he Michael in Lost? He just kept shouting Walt. Thing is, he's Link. Remember, okay. where's my sweet puss? Hey! Yeah, but he's also Michael in Lost. I know, I know. He's got a nice face, is not he? Is Don't you brilliant? think he has a nice face? Yeah. <laughs> he was in Oz as well. He was very, very good in Oz. I've not seen that. It's a good show. Okay. They pick up the kids and then bring them back to the base. And, and one of the uh, army dudes says to Robert Carl, we found your kids. And he's like, oh, brilliant. Thank you so much. And then, and also your wife. And then that's like a dun, dun, dun. Because he's got to face up to what he did. Yeah. And then he has this whole thing where he just gets into the room, despite the fact that she's clearly infected and clearly special as well, because it's been it's been flagged up before. But she seems to be completely unattended. 
Yeah. There's there's no one looking over the thing. And I as I said, I'm not I'm not move, I I can get on board with movie logic. Like it's if the rest of it's sort of got me swept up in the whole thing. But it is it's such a stupid thing. Because that, that seed is planted early because he says all oh, triple A accessible areas and whatever. And the fact that he goes there completely unchallenged into into the thing she's not looked over by anyone she's just left strapped to a, a, a hospital table thing so what the fuck and then then he's like oh please forgive me so you know yeah he's got that kind of thing but then then he he kisses her and they make out a bit and then he becomes infected because she's a carrier i and that is genuinely one of the most horrific deaths i think i've seen in anything yeah it's it's brutal it's it's unnecessarily brutal it yeah is, it's not yeah i mean it's a i guess in some ways it's just well because he just well he beats her and you get sort of a point of view of, of him beating her and it, it's horrible i mean i guess and he I puts his thumbs into her eyes you know yeah in a much more graphic and sustained way than yeah 28 days later and to us i ended up looking away from the screen because it's just it's, just, it's awful and I, I'm not sure you tend to see in films like you don't really tend to see male on female violence, at least not this sustained and this. And it just, it kind of, the, the people affected with the rage virus in, in, in 28 days later, just, I, I don't know, I guess you never really saw them up close doing anything, but it kind of didn't really feel like it just. Well, it seemed like they just kind of ran at you and sort of dragged you down and then bit you a bunch. Whereas, yeah. whereas this one, it seems like it's a full kind of like, sustained assault yeah it's needlessly brutal and it's, i understand it's awful it's... i understand that's that you know they are going for brutality and everything and it is meant to be that you know he he did love his wife in this show he's changed and everything but for the worse obviously but that's when i kind of really started to feel the story gears sort of clunking you know the sort of okay we've got to get to a point where he's infected and then the mum is out of the picture. I thought they were going to do something interesting with the mum. No, no, they don't. And and now, oh, he's infected, and he's like this recurring bad guy. Yeah, throughout king the whole of, thing, king of the zombies. Yeah, exactly. Who died and made him fucking king of the zombies? <laughs> I, I assume the mum. <laughs> um, <laughs> just I don't know. It 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 just seems it just seems kind of ungraceful, indelicate. It it's just not. It's just not a good thing. And 28 Days Later didn't have to worry about that sort of stuff. It had a tight control on its tone and and where the plot was going and things like that. This did feel like just moving the pieces. Just got to do that. And it's just, I I hated that. And that, that sort of took me out of the movie. And yeah. especially, and then you've got like just manufactured horror as well, where, I mean, yes, I know it's all manuf manufactured, but they all put them in that sort of car park just they they put all the civilians in there like if a stampede happened and it would because people are panicked anyway th that would be like a meat grinder well the army stopped shooting them like the infected and the people yeah but that that was that was like the third stage that was stage three of the plan they weren't always intended to do that it's just if the infection got out of hand they weren't planning to do that from the beginning were they i don't uh, i don't know i i think i think that was like the all else has failed plan rather than the let's go into the thing. So yeah. So they put them in there, they, they lock them in there. And, and then, I mean, it's clear that some infected are going to get in and people are going to have nowhere to run. I, I, I don't know. I just, I was watching it and I was just really missing 
the sort of good parts of 28 Days Later, it, as I said, it just feels like generic zombie movie number 575, mm. which is a real shame. And and there's there's good work. I like I like the sort of mini arc that that Jeremy Renner has, where he kind of actually says fuck no to executing civilians. Eventually, eventually. Um, after after executing some civilians. Yeah, well, it's hard to tell. He wasn't Hawkeye yet, so you know his aim was a bit off. <laughs> I think it's just yeah. I just I just wasn't feeling it, and then. Then that whole thing, like, oh, okay, so he's going to lead them, Roseburn, uh, and 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 the kids. So that's that's their kind of thing, as well as some rando, or uh, whatever, Sam from the supermarket or something. Yeah, yeah. Who? I mean, obviously, he was going to fuck something up for them because you have that scene with the sniper, which I like. I like the fact that Andy sort of takes the initiative there, hmm. and Serpentine's through the things so that Renner can get a shot but it's just it it just feels like all these elements are contrived as I said I keep saying it, it's like pieces being moved into place and that is narrative anyway but it doesn't feel an organic part of the story it's just what do we have to have in order for this to happen later on in the movie and I suppose that that is regular movie making anyway but I think they, they hide the staples a lot better than this movie does and 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 having sort of panicky idiot number five, you know, turn up later to sort of grab onto the. It's just, yeah. This this annoyed me. Can you tell I'm annoyed? Just a little bit. Yeah, I mean, ironically, it kind of made me rage a little bit. <laughs> I mean, do you dislike this movie as much as I do? Not as much as uh, oh, not as much as you do. That's I, always the case, though. <laughs> uh, I. I think I remember liking it more than this, uh, more than mm. this time around. Um, I know, I know. You know, we could have said in the intro that the, the, the order will be twenty eight days later than twenty eight weeks later because I'm yeah. sure that's everyone's yeah uh, order. I I like that it tries to do something different. Mm. Um, uh, but yeah, the, the the bit with Robert Carlyle sort of killing his wife is horrific. Um. Yeah, it's, it's it's almost unwatchable. Um, and then everything else, everything else is kind of a bit cliche, like Jeremy Renner's the, the sort of stereotypical good all action hero who does make the sacrifice play. Apparently, in the, in the initial scripts, um, it was supposed to be Rose Byrne who did that, and that she would have pushed the car and then uh, been burnt, burnt in a sort of case of nominative determinism. Mm. Um, but she gets she gets kind of. But they felt they felt that it wouldn't smashed in with a rifle butt instead. We, uh, yeah, oh, so, yeah. I was going to guess that bit as well. So just oh, okay. just, on, just on this part. So the roles have been reversed. That um, she would have pushed the car and then and then have been burned alive, mm. and Jeremy Renner would have led the kids to the underground and then been beaten by Robert Carlyle. But it was felt that you wouldn't believe the children were in jeopardy if, Je if Jeremy Renner was looking after them, whereas you do with Rose Byrne. Wow. Mm. Yeah, Roseburn's death is again horrific. This and again a, another point of view of a woman being uh, sort of beaten uh, to death. It, it's sort of yeah, it, it's it's horrific. And this, obviously, you know, we're now the other side of 
well, not sorry, not the other side, but in the last few years, we've had a lot more attention drawn to this kind of portrayal. Yeah, um, and this really doesn't sit well. Sit well, and I know it was made before. You know, possibly we became more culturally aware of how prevalent it is, but it's it's really uneasy watching, and it doesn't really make a point. It, it it's it, it doesn't make movie sense in terms of the world of Twenty Eight Days Later and Twenty Eight Weeks Later. The every other infected character is just is somebody just runs and there's not like a conscious decision whereas with rob carlisle the zombie rob um does it's like he's making a decision there's something triggering him to be this brutal and this sustained on these two women yeah i mean that's the thing if he was like a wife beater or something beforehand i'd sort of understand that it was in his dna and if something made him angry then he would target women but there's not he leaves his wife and that's a he leaves his wife to her fate so that is violence against women but it's not I think they sort of implied that yeah. because because he feels guilty about her screaming at him to not go when he leaves her, that that's his kind of trigger. Because when he hears his daughter at the end, he gets the flash of uh, of, of his wife yeah. when, it, when he abandons her. But the, I don't think they really established in either film that they still have any sort of conscious reasoning. No. And there wasn't kind of any sort of, well, the virus is mutated. Yeah, they're learning. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's not that they're going after people specific, like in a specific way because of certain memories they had before they were infected. They're just going after anything. Can I say, we've just skipped over my favourite bit in the movie, bit in Regent's Park, where uh, he tip, tilts the helicopter and shreds all those zombies. Oh, yeah, that was cool. I like that. You know, I like I like creative zombie kills. And that was that was a nice splatter moment, you know. But the fact I could only enjoy it on that sort of visceral kind of way it sort of shows that it's it's really lacking in sort of characters and narrative. Oh yeah, one thing we said we mentioned again was the use of in the house in a heartbeat in twenty eight weeks later, and is used I think most probably at the beginning when Robert Carlyle is running away from abandoning his wife, and. I get that they kind of use it almost as a series sort of theme music, but it kind of just makes you think how good the first one was. And it sort of feels a bit cheap in a way. It's like, yeah, listen to this bit of music. It's much better in a different film. And it doesn't really have the same kind of build-up and and sort of building to that crescendo that, that it does in 28 Days Later. I forgot to mention, also, I do actually have the soundtrack. I think it was the second soundtrack I bought after Amelie. Um, on CD, Hooray for Physical Media, which I have here. And inside the CD, it has the uh, printed from the church. The end is extremely flapjacking line. And there's a little bit, there's a little comic in the slipcase, which has just a little bit of build up, kind of like a background to the first couple of minutes of the first film, saying about how the virus struck without warning and that people did things that if they survived would haunt them forever but no one survived except one and then it's outside the hospital door of the coma ward just before Jim woke up yeah and then and so the film ends with a uh, helicopter pilot guy can't remember his name what is his character name I don't know they are all basically sort of yeah, but, but that's it you don't forget yeah. Jim or Selena or Frank or Hannah or, you mm. know, any of the kind of major West. Like, you remember all these names from the thing. And this is 
usually one of the indicators that a film is good or not, whether you actually remember the characters' names or, you know, and you remember something about them. If you come out of it and you, you have no idea what so-and-so is called, then something's gone wrong, unless that's the point, unless they are meant to be all kind of nobodies. But that's not the case in this one. So, yeah, so helicopter pilot guy who's cool, the one off of Lost and the Matrix sequels. He takes them to France. Well, he lands in uh, Wembley, which wasn't open then. Oh, yeah, I wondered when how they got that. When, when the film is set, well... The, they filmed at uh, Cardiff's uh, as was Millennium Stadium, as is now the Prince Pansy yeah. Stadium. Um, but yeah, in the timeline, Wembley wouldn't have been open then. Ah, uh, but this is an alternate timeline when zombies took over, Rob. So I think well, took over construction and yeah. opened it ahead of time. Yeah, <laughs> on budget. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it takes off from Wembley. Goes. I, I like them going over the cliffs of Dover. Apparently that was one of the uh, sort of marketing things for this movie. Yeah, they. I remember that they projected a sign on the cliffs of Dover saying that the country was under quarantine. Yeah, which yeah. is cool. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. a cool thing. Yeah, saying saying that that Britain was infected. Yeah, and but so they go over the cliffs of Dover and then they land in Paris, and we know it's Paris because I think there's some sort of tower. I don't know what it's called, the Paris Tower or something. Yeah, it looks like the one the, that one they got in Blackpool. Yes. Yeah, but like less impressive. And so <laughs> the Paris Tower and everything, and then you got zombies and that, and they've all got berries and mustaches and baguettes, and, and it ends. Yep. This film made me just kind of feel empty. I think I think that's the sort of th- thing I could recognize, as I said, I could recognize that there was craftsmanship that went into it. I think it, it did. It managed to muster some atmosphere, but there were just dumb plot contrivances, and it didn't. To me, it didn't justify it being a sequel to Twenty Eight Days Later. And I don't think Twenty Eight Day t- Days Later is some unassailable masterpiece or anything like that. But I think it's a very, very good example of the genre. I was going to so, ask if you if you had uh, franchise fatigue, if you would see any more sequels to it. Uh, probably not. No. Okay. I, d- I really, I really don't think so. Like you know, they say uh, that they want to do twenty eight months later, but the fact that yeah. uh, well, they haven't just... in these sort of intervening uh, fourteen years. Yeah, it's and... twenty years next year since twenty eight days later came out. Yeah, so um, no, because it would just be what would it have to offer that's any different? Oh, it's in France now and Europe in general. Like, yeah, I they they managed to sort of squash my enthusiasm out with the sequel. So the sequel to the sequel, I, I don't, I don't care. What about you? I have always look, um, looked forward to 28 months, then years, then decades, etc. later. Yeah. Um, I think rewatching 28 weeks later now, I don't know. I think if, if Danny Bowles going back to direct it and Alex Garland to write it, if it was, you know, the original band getting back together, I, mm. I'd be in. Uh, I'd go see it. Yeah, I mean that's the thing, but it probably wouldn't be. They would probably be executive producers, and they would have some other director direct it, and it would be. I think it has more chance if it does come out. It has more chance of being like twenty eight weeks later than twenty eight days. I mean, possibly there could be a, a sort of a reboot or reimagining because, you know, at, at the beginning of twenty eight days later, you've got all the, the sort of the horrors on television to kind of show all the rage, whereas now you could have Twitter. Yeah. Yes, follow us at Popcorn Bucket PD. 
We'd love to hear from you. There's a raw grit to 28 Days Later, which can't be recaptured, and it helped, as you said, revitalize the whole zombie thing. We we got fast zombies from that, or at least we it popularized it. I'm sure there's someone actually, if you look at uh, runner zombies from Mars, they invented running zombies. I, I don't give a shit. It was this one that popularized the idea. I think that the way it was shot, the way it was done, having a sort of big money sequel, and it would have to be a big money sequel. You can't make an independent sequel to these now, can you? You can't go back, because that's yes, not the way yeah, studios yeah, think. Yeah. And having that sort of energy, having that sort of thing, it just you can't recapture it. It was lightning in a bottle. And having a kind of bigger budget, way more generic sequel, just kind of Yeah. No, I'm 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 done with uh, the 28. I mean, that's the thing. It doesn't even have a proper franchise name. It's like the I, people call it the 28 Days franchise or something, the 28 franchise. But it it's it doesn't even have a good catchy name. So, yeah, I do have franchise fatigue. I absolutely, you know, it would be a miracle if they managed to get Danny Boyle and Alex Garland to work on a sequel. I don't well, think either. I've said that Alex Garland has an idea. Yeah, and that, but that's the thing. I don't think. I think at this stage in their careers, they probably wouldn't want to revisit it because I think, yeah, if, if he has an idea, great. And Alex Garland is a great ideas man, but whether it actually comes to fruition or not is a is a different story. And yeah, I probably would see it, but with that sort of sense of foreboding, rather than oh, awesome, a sequel finally, you know. Because uh, I often feel obligated to see sequels. Yeah, I mean that they're counting on that <laughs> from people, but it, it's it's one of those things where you just yeah. I mean, what what could they do that's different? I don't know. I guess it would be another. They thought the uh, infection was over, but wait, yeah, or make the infected evolve in some way. Sacre bleu. Have people refusing to get a vaccine or? No one believe that. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, you could. To be honest, have yeah, have an anti-vaxxer sort of rally, and then have an infected kind of like bite one of them, and then it all goes wrong from there. That actually is quite exciting. Ben and Rob Productions present. Yeah, well, look. 28 and... pandemics later. <laughs> you could definitely have that. That that would be a powerful scene. And cathartic. Rob, you don't want to be too controversial, do you? You're kind of shying away from this. It's fine. They know that they're mocked. <laughs> I just, look. Without getting too political... <laughs> <laughs> any more political believe what you want but i mean i think just that... don't believe that 28 weeks later is better than 28 days later yeah well i mean yeah i would i would question i would question your uh critical faculties if that was uh the case i mean you could i mean the thing is zombie films are gonna have to get a hell of a lot smarter now because we've gone through a global pandemic it's all in recent memory i mean the the fact that uh, we're going to have things just ripped from reality now in terms of we're all familiar of what quarantine and lockdown looks like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so, and and I dare say there are probably going to be quite a few movies that carry that feeling through, you know, uh, the social distancing, the, 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 all that. Like, it, that's that's going to add texture to 
future zombie movies. So yeah, you you could feasibly have again using zombies as social commentary. You could have that, but uh, I mean, if I was if if there was like a, a a sort of movie genie, and I could wish for a sequel to something that I want to see, twenty eight months later would be way way down the list. I just I I don't have an enthusiasm for for the franchises. Is I love Twenty Eight Days Later, but mm. Twenty Eight Weeks Later, nah. Okay. So guess how I'm ordering them? In the same way they came out, in exactly, exactly. the same way as everyone else. Yeah, yeah. And I imagine I imagine you're the same. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you know, but but you said you don't have franchise fatigue, but with some massive caveats. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it would have to be. It would have to be a perfect storm of the original creatives getting involved and whatever so, yeah. to actually do it. So you kind of do have franchise fatigue, really. I suppose when you put it like that. Yeah. Except in very specific. Yeah, I guess. Except in very specific circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that that's what I think because I, I, I with franchise fatigue with with the whole thing, I found that. Normally, it's you know you get that sort of strong start, and then the people who kind of kicked off the whole thing leave the project or yeah. whatever, and and then it gets taken over by someone else who doesn't have the same sort of skill set or energy or whatever, and and it it kind of goes off the boil. And and the answer is always like if the original team came back and did it, then yeah, that would be a thing. But I think we have to sort of imagine the most likely scenario, and the most likely scenario is some rando would direct it and it would be Boyle and garland as executive producers and it just it would be the same it, it, would, it would be the the diminishing returns thing so so yes rob i'm, I'm here to say that you do have franchise fatigue okay, well, there you have it yes so uh do we have anything else to say apart from happy halloween well, Ben, would you like to join me on the concession stand for some pick and mix? No, I okay. need to go home. Okay. <laughs> I've always got to spoil your neat segues and whatever. You try and be quaint with, with these kind of things, and you always kind of try and get some theming, and I just I always spoil it. Yes, Rob, I will join you at the concession stand. Oh, look, they've got pick and mix here. Oh, they've got some popcorn. It's been buried for hundreds of years, and its taste is slightly virtual. As this week, the trailer for the Uncharted what? film was released. Fucking what? <laughs> oh, yeah. So we wanted to chat about the Uncharted trailer because I, I, we're both fans of the video game franchise. Indeed. And I don't know if you've picked up on the fact that we do a movie podcast, but we like films as well. And so, you know, those two things coming together with an Uncharted movie. We have mentioned it a little bit before, but yeah, we got our first sort of trailer for it. And and before I come in with my wrecking ball of an opinion, Rob, hmm. what did you think of the trailer? Well, firstly, it starts off with a preview for the trailer, which irritates me. I guess it's because it's like a couple of seconds to see on YouTube on an yeah, advert. It, I guess. It's because of the it's because of the skip ad button. So they yeah. have the sort of the sort of dun 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 dun, dun uncharted, and then. You know, then the actual trailer. Yeah, yeah. that's irritating. I know it's not confined to this film, but that as a concept annoys me. Yeah, Sony especially love doing that. 
Okay. There's a lot of shots that are basically like recre- uh, recreations of the game, like the bit with the pirate ship, which is from Uncharted 4. The cargo plane bit is from Uncharted 3. The mentions mm. of his brother, the uh, what looks like an auction scene. It seems like a pretty faithful version, going off the trailer, like certainly in terms of the shot. I like Tom Holland. I think he's quite charismatic. I think he's way too young to play Nathan Drake. I think Mark Wahlberg would have been the better choice. And he was apparently. In one of the many, many, many iteration, iterations of this, he he was going to be Drake. And I think Robert De Niro was going to play his dad. Mm. And uh, Joe Pantoliano was going to be his uncle. Joey Pants. Yeah, was going to be his uncle. Yeah. And he's had like eight directors. To oh, yeah, it was, going to, it was going to be like a treasure hunting family, wasn't it? Yeah. That was the original sort of pitch, which was dog shit. Mm. I thought the trailer looks good. I will go and see the film i do think um yeah tom holland although is a, a a nice presence i do think he's too young for this character i guess they're sort of trying to tie it in so he can play him for you know, potentially years mm. and kind of age into it yeah so you didn't like it then no no okay cool well join us next week for... <laughs> well it's just look and i i want to get it through because i you always seem more up on things than i am and that's that's just how we are. i i don't like not liking things i want that sort of out there and i i do i'd like uncharted i like tom holland i think he's the best spider-man fucking come come at me i think he is i think he really is and i think he he's a he's a very gifted actor but yeah, I think he's miscast as Nathan Drake, but that's, you know, they're clearly going their own way with it. I don't find Mark Wahlberg particularly compelling presence in anything other than The Departed. Uh, the Italian Job remake? Yeah, he's shite in that too. No, it was a great film. Yeah. He's just a, a big old bread sandwich, is uh, Mark Wahlberg. So not getting the sort of charismatic, sort of sully thing from him. Hmm. But the fact that they seem to just be having. The, the, all the set pieces from the different games, that concerns me because it's like, okay, so they're not going to go... I didn't want a literal kind of just translation from, you know, oh, this is going to be the first game. This is going to be yeah. actually Uncharted 2 or whatever. But, like, the fact that it seems to be a, a sort of random hodgepodge of the big events from the video games concerns me because it means that they've got no sodding narrative focus. You know, and there there are bits. I mean, I, I think the the weird and and it, it's such an odd trailer to me because they show the sort of cliffhanger of Tom Holland hanging out the back of the plane, and then they have the sort of credits of the trailer, and then they show the post bit where you see that he gets on, but then a car comes out, like, and yeah. he goes, "Oh crap!" And then and that's a very Nathan Drake thing when something you know it it goes from bad to worse, and that's fine, but I don't know, I. I want to like this. I will see it. Obviously, I'll see it. But I, it could just be a terrible trailer. But I, I think that it looks to me like it's going to be the sort of unfocused narrative, sort of miscast video game movie. It's going to be like something like Tomb Raider. And I actually didn't mind the Tomb Raider movie with uh, uh, Alicia Vikander. But, um, but it's not good. And this this kind of looks like it's going to be the same for me. And, you know, they're never going to get to do a sequel because it's going to underperform or something. You know, it's just I'm very cynical about this film and its future. 
Okay. And I don't want to be. I don't want to be. As I said, I like Tom Holland. I like Uncharted. I like movies in general. I like dumb action. It looks like it should be my kind of thing, but it just isn't. Had they gone for a younger, you know, the younger Nathan Drake, Nathan Drake with his brother, because they do mention Sam. Yeah. That would have worked. If the plan is to have him age into the role, why are you doing all the games plots in one? It's the it's like the whole thing where it's just movies think they know better than some games. And yeah, games and are you know, they can't be translated literally from one to the other. There are certain concessions that have to be made. There are certain things there, but they they have these kind of brilliant things about video games and, and, and things that people remember from the narratives. And then they just kind of go, oh, fuck it, get rid of that. Just just get the sort of highlights and put it all in a movie and see how that works. And it's it's never good. So not feeling it. Okay. And and I mean, we'll go and see it. We'll yeah. go and see it. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, it, it didn't it didn't fill me with much hope. That's a nice downer to end the podcast on. Oh, so I've walked away from the concession stand because uh, the nachos are overpriced and the hot cheese has scalded my hand and now it's blistered up and you have to take me to the hospital. But you are now filled with rage, which is a rather fitting way to end. Yeah. 20 yeah. days later. Yeah, thanks for that. That's it for this week. Thank you for listening. We'd love to have your feedback. Please email podcast at thepopcornbucket.com. You can find us on Instagram at popcornbucketpod or on Twitter at popcornbucketpd or on goodpods at popcornbucketpod. Thank you very much to Lawrence Owen of Longcat Media for the theme music. If you're able to, it'd be great if you can rate the episode wherever you listen to your podcast and subscribe and share. Thank you so much to Lawrence Owen of Longcat Media for the theme music. Many thanks, <laughs> take care, and see you next episode. What was that about? I forgot last week, so just did it twice <laughs> to be extra thankful. It's Halloween, not Thanksgiving. <laughs>